Super duty tough work. I told y'all we was coming back with more interviews soon. So this is an interview that I've been wanting to do for a minute with a man that I've known for a long fucking time in this industry. None other than Cryptic One. Cryptic One, what up? Chilling, man. And yeah, we're not going to talk. Well, we are probably going to talk about how long we've known each other. <laughs> yeah. Let's get that out the way first. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. I, met age, you, I met you back in, was it 99, 98? I think it was 98. Yeah. I think it was 98. Yeah. Um, and I might have been on on the old, uh, was it ATAC? ATAC Distribution. <laughs> <laughs> message boards yes yep yep for those of you who don't remember atac atak was like a, a a spot out of uh i think they were in oakland or somewhere on the west coast but they sold tapes and underground yep. cds and underground music it was like an online distributor of underground music and they'd sell a lot of west coast shit like living legends and shit like that and uh but as a part of the underground movement, when we first started, we started getting our tapes on these sites. You know, you had ATAC, you had uh, Hip Hop Infinity, for mm-hmm. those who forget they had a store. Uh, yep. Undergroundhiphop.com had a store. Yep. We all had our own stores eventually, but a lot of those, Sandbox Automatic. That's, yeah, that was key. <laughs> they were good about myself when my stuff was on there. Man. Oh, man, Shit. you felt like you had a record deal if you was on Sandbox yep. Automatic. <laughs> 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 you know they used to help us move a lot of products so cryptic is a is a part of a, a crew called the adams family that's how i started hearing about him and they were releasing music at the same time as us and uh you know back then we weren't necessarily in each other's cities but it was everybody were kind of congregating to the same online spaces and so me and crypt kind of hit it off and kind of became cool start talking offline and i kind of just started the whole adams family waitlist kind of engagement like like our our relationship because we always have been like extended family yep so like maybe within a year of like us getting cool like we started going out to new york staying at cryptic's crib out in long island like six dudes on the floor in his bedroom making dominoes (laughs) exactly (laughs) you know and just making music and uh you know cryptic also he was you know the engineer for the song alchemy me and Aesop Rock, we recorded that at his house. You know, I remember that day very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, you know, that's my, you know, Cryptic has been around as long as I've been around. Longer, he's been putting out music longer than me. And so um, today I want to interview him and talk to him just about something that I've been seeing from him that's very inspiring, which is his reinvention. And um, Cryptic is a man who's been putting out music for over 20 years. And recently he kind of, he took a step away several years ago and since he's come back he's been on a on a pivot if you will and he's kind of established himself more in the producer space and that has led to a lot of different opportunities and stuff he's doing stuff now that i didn't even see him doing vocally some years ago um which is dope you know in terms of just like traveling and touring and playing and the new spaces that i'm seeing him pop up in and it's something that i think a lot of newer artists can get a lot from and so um, if you're a younger artist and you're wondering, you know, uh, can you pivot? Can you make a change? Is it is it possible to start in one place and and have a career that has a lot of longevity and still be uh, happily doing some dope shit years later? The answer is yes. And Cryptic is doing that. And so today we're going to talk to him about that on the show. 
and we're going to break down some lessons and some key things that I saw from him. And so uh, we're going to take a break and we will be right we got you stuck off the realness, the most infamous, you heard of us, official podcast murderers, the show comes equipped with few points to share, grown man ideas for all those who care and want to grow, so go ahead and download, every single week with a brand new episode, you're not alone in this world cousin, so we share information and honest discussion, and keep repping the culture, like we supposed to, they spread gossip but they never come closer, I can hear it inside their tone, they talk about the industry but never left their home you get laced up with bullet points and such plus empowering topics that they never would touch you can put your whole network against the team but super duty tough works the mvp most valuable podcast on mp3 priceless info but all of it's free so take these words home and think them through super duty tough work is coming at you now listening to Super Duty Tough Work with your host, Blueprint, raw and uncut, adult conversations, no shucking, no jiving, and no bullshit. Before we get the show started, gotta give you a quick update and let everybody know that this week's episode is sponsored by Frank Mason Music. Frank Mason Music, a producer out of New York City. He's got three projects you need to check. Instrumentals Volume 1, Instrumentals Volume 2, Instrumentals Volume 3. Dope hip-hop instrumental projects. All three of them are fired. They're on Spotify right now. They're on Bandcamp right now. If you want to check him out and support, we thank him for sponsoring this episode and we ask that you go check out his music. You know, we wouldn't be co-signing it if it wasn't dope. So, as you can hear by the music that's playing underneath us right now. His music's fire. Check him out. Back to the show. Okay, folks, we back. Super Duty Tough Work. Print Never Since. Cryptic One. Um, let's start from the beginning. Um, when did you release your first project? Uh, the first self-release project was 1996, uh, Center of the Web. Um, I pulled one out because I actually found a few copies. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, I, I, that was the first thing that I released. The first thing I produced, oddly, uh, not a lot of people know this, was um, a record for Soul um, mm. from Anacon. Yeah. Later, he was in Anacon. That was in 95, I want to say. Um, I linked up with him also through the computer situation. Um, my demo was kind of circulating. Mm-hmm. My solo demo it was after my crew at the time broke up. Um, and this was pre message boards, I guess, like CompuServe and AOL. Yeah. Connected and had like these email things where they were trading tapes. Just yeah. From the West Coast were trading tapes, like, yo, you got something, blah, blah. blah. And my tape was being traded through there. Mm. And Soul got a hold of it through my cousin, which is kind of weird. Like, that's how my tape even got out there. My cousin was in that, those trading days and um soul just called me randomly like hey what's up i'm this mc from maine love what you do blah 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 we just started talking that's how we developed a relationship yeah. and one day he was like yo i'm coming to new york i'm like all right cool came to the crib i made a beat on the spot he's like yo can i use it i'm like yeah sure and that was <laughs> that was my first record yeah <laughs> next thing you know like you know six months later i have a cd with my name on it which blew my mind you know that was just like yeah the goal and then after that i was like okay if he can do it why can't i mm -hmm. 
we recorded a bunch of songs and put out vinyl and cassette and somehow got a distribution deal in an AOL chat room. Which is, <laughs> is that how it came about? <laughs> that is exactly how it came about. <laughs> That's I awesome. Got, I, was, I was in the chat room talking shit about my crew. Yo, yeah. my crew is dope, blah, 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 blah. Someone hit me up and this shows you how old it was how long ago it was um it was on dial-up so he asked mm. like yo can i hear some stuff it took like two hours to send like 15 second clip or something <laughs> yeah real <laughs> and, uh, audio this is before real audio before real audio it was like i don't even know what it was i think it was you had to send waves wow and yeah it was on dial-up so it literally took two hours to send like 20 yeah. second clip and he was like yo i like your stuff and then we exchanged phone numbers and um yeah, that's how I got my distribution deal. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and and from there it was just uh, I got really lucky. The record sold extremely yeah. well. When when your first one sells well, you think that it's that easy, <laughs> and and that and, was that was an era of that. That was yeah ninety yeah. say ninety six ninety seven at time ninety six yeah 96? people would go and just buy yeah. anything vinyl that was I did <laughs> same I did. <laughs> yeah that was the boom for those who missed that era that was a, a vinyl boom of uh, independent hip hop like yeah. twelve inches were dropping every week from people all over the place and they were all pretty fucking dope yeah you know you couldn't go wrong so you would read I remember reading this uh it wasn't a forum it was like you're talking I was like called rec.music.hiphop or something like that Do you remember that yep. spot yep 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 yeah i would be reading that and it would be all these writers on there and people from all over the country and a lot of those writers ended up being people who ended up writing for like herb yep. elemental all those places ended up covering our shit later on but i remember reading that and that's how i learned about so many groups before i even saw the 12 inches so when i would see a 12 inch out oh natural resources i've heard of oh. that let me buy this you Instantly. know instantly yep. oh yeshua and the poet okay let me grab that and it would be fire fire so yeah so you got to take advantage of that whole momentum yeah, yeah. that whole thing with your first it, record it was amazing um the flip side is you literally think it's always going to be like that and the next <laughs> release <laughs> was not like that at all <laughs> we took, I, I spent a lot more money putting yeah. that second one together yeah and it fucking flopped like I still have copies now. Yeah, like, I, I have more ease selling them now just because they're a collector's item than I did back when when Damn. it was jumping. But you yeah, know, that's it is part of the game. Yeah, that's part Learn, of the game. Man. We experience. all got we all got flops in our catalog. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of like they talk about fighting. Like if you ain't never lost a fight, you ain't never got no fights. No. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody who's been in enough fights done lost one or two. Yeah, you got to get punched in the face at some point. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Rocking your shit. Oh, okay. Okay. I'm in a real fight right now. Facts. I can lose. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how releasing music is, man. Nah, that's dope. So when did you start? um, Because that's 95, 96. Explain how you kind of got into production so early. Um, I had been producing since which is wild to me um since 89 that's when i got my first sampler yeah um how i got into it was like i literally remember the day where it clicked like what was happening like i was Mm. recording um red alert uh, mr magic uh molly mall all that stuff chuck chill out and heavily into hip-hop in the 80s and it was the day um because red alert he managed jungle brothers yeah and he would play their stuff before it got released so he played um, 
because I got it like that, which the second I heard the beat, I was like, I know that. I know what that mm. is. And I went through my parents' record collection and I found the Sly Family Stone record and mm. I found that sample and I was like, oh, that's how they do it. That's yeah. how they make these beats that I'm, I'm fascinated by. Um, at the time, I was a DJ. I started DJing in 86. I had turntables and, and tons of wax. So like, that's when I started reading my parents' record collection and my aunts and uncles' record collection, any type place I could go to get records. And I was finding these samples, and I already had it in my mind. Like, when I get a sampler, these are mm -hmm. the records I'm sampling. And then um, I got a pretty crappy sampler. Uh, um, I think it was a Gemini or a Newmark. Basically, mm -hmm. it sampled and looped. Yeah, that was it. One sample. Yeah, you press a button. You had to manually press the start and stop. To <laughs> I think I remember that loop, joint. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it looked like a mixer. Did it look like a DJ mixer yep, a little bit? Yep. And yeah. it had one big button that said start and stop, and that was <laughs> that was the extent yep. of the sampling. Yep. And um, that's when I started making pause tapes combined with that. So I would sample the loop on the sampler and then record that loop to um a cassette and then i'd have a play deck i'd mm -hmm. play that one and then i'd have another sample like a bass line yeah press it and just press it the whole four minutes like yeah. literally trying to press it on beat for four minutes and that was how i started making beats um how i got into a different space was um people don't know i i gotta explain like how you got information then there yeah. was no google there was no youtube there no was internet nothing. no no, no google search nope and no one shared information <laughs> no. either so it was just like magazines was my google yeah i'd go to tower records and they had an ill magazine section and i'd mm -hmm. sit there i'd literally sit on the floor flipping through magazines reading articles yeah. before i bought them because sometimes you buy some garbage and bring it home and you're like mad at yourself for spending it's like six dollars or something on a magazine yeah but uh i found one ar article in this it was a magazine called home recording and audio or something like that and it was an article about firehouse studios which is where gangstar's first album was recorded um where a lot of hip-hop it it actually makes an appearance in the wu-tang um mm. drama series that studio so in that article, the guy talks about engineering a, se a session with Premiere. So I'm reading everything. He's talking about MIDI. I didn't have any idea what MIDI mm. was. So I'm like, I store that word in my brain. And he said they recorded on an S900 and they sequenced it with an MPC this. And I was like, just, I didn't know what any of this stuff was. But I'm flipping through one of these magazines and the classifieds in the back, it says that someone's selling an S900, an mm. S950. I'm like, that's the thing that Premier used. Mm -hmm. I, I drove up to Connecticut with <laughs> nice. $500 in cash and bought it. Still have it. It's right here. That's with yeah. the little Parada logo still working. Nice. Um, that was the first sample I got. I got it home and. Probably no manual. No, no, I had the manual. It had your that manual? Shit was, oh, shit, that's that, great. That shit was, no, it was not great. That shit was a different language to me, basically. <laughs> I did not understand what was happening. Yeah. I didn't know I needed a keyboard or something MIDI to trigger it. Like, yeah. it has no sequencer, no nothing. So I, it sat there for, like, a good six months before I even, like, figured it out. Luckily, 
they opened um a Sam Ash near me, so I was just going there asking questions. And yeah, like, took a lot of wasting money buying the wrong gear, but eventually mm-hmm. I got a sequencer, a hardware sequencer, and and learned how to really yeah. beat. And um, yeah, that was it. I was like, that was all I did with my entire life. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was just in that room with with yeah. the sequencer, the keyboard, and sampler and records and yeah. That sounds like me right when I got my sampler, my senior year of college. I literally, I had the option. I think I got it like, I got out of layaway. Hey, you know, (laughs) I was a college student. I didn't layaway for like a year. Shit wasn't cheap. And I remember getting it the weekend before Thanksgiving break. Mm. And we were off for like six weeks for Christmas break. And I was like, mom, I'm not going to come home for uh, (laughs) Christmas break. Let's stay in college. Literally, all my roommates left, and like you're saying, just me in a room with the sampler and some records. Yep. No lie. Probably didn't shower for a few days. No. Didn't even leave the room. Barely ate. Nothing existed. Nope. (laughs) And it's funny because yeah, you had to have that kind of dedication, and I didn't have no manual with my shit. Oh shit. It was like I had to literally figure everything out with no one telling me nothing. But uh. Yeah, that's how it was back then, like total immersion. Yep. Total immersion. And so from there, you kind of become a producer, the main producer of Adam's Family. Now, now, at what time, what year did you form Adam's Family? Um, I didn't actually form it. I, w- I came in later. It was all already around for about a year before I got there. Okay. We formed it in 95. It was okay. four, four dudes, Vast. Yeah, shit my shirt yeah that's <laughs> there Vortal mega yeah those were two of the originals uh osiris and um genesis okay they all went to to like a high school and it was kind of an art school yeah. together um and i think if i remember right uh vast wrote a verse called adam's family yeah and that just kind of stuck yeah so i met them later through center of the web guys uh molecule mm-hmm. and witchcraft yeah. The way I met them was kind of crazy. This was when I was shopping my solo demo. Um, and back in those days, there was this thing that, that you did just to, to get out there. It wasn't like we had open mics yet. Um, is like there would be college radio shows who would be like, they'd open the phone lines for MCs to call up and rap. Mm-hmm. So I was just, I was touring the, <laughs> touring the radio stations. Anyone that would let you call up, I was calling and rapping. Yeah. And, I rapped on this one station and the following week, um, these guys, Molecule and Witchcraft called up and they're like, yo, everybody who, who raps on this show calls up is whack, except for that dude cryptic one from Long Island. I was like, oh, cool. It made me feel good about myself. They dissed everybody <laughs> except for me. And then um, we wound up linking through through the, the host of that show, turned out to be Dynamics Plus, who's a ill MC and producer as well. Yeah. Um, and he linked us up and we formed center of the web and they told me about this their crew adam's family and i was like oh that's cool yeah and then uh, once i met all those dudes i was like yeah now this is this is this is my family we're all <laughs> yeah. a bunch of weirdos like that love all the same music <laughs> yeah and yeah i, I mean it was kind of crazy how connected we were without knowing each other mm-hmm. you know just through like not everyone rapped like us you know right a bunch of weirdos Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was the beauty of Adam's family. It's like it was it was underground shit, but it wasn't. I'm not going to say that, I guess, for lack of a better term, it wasn't what the 
mainstream underground shit new york right. underground shit sounded like right. like the majority of shit that was like the face of new york underground shit was like the stretch and bobito yep. fondalum super straightforward kind of traditional boom bap shit at that point yep. adam's family was not not that at no. all no, we were the weirdos amongst the weirdos. Like, yeah. <laughs> you take a group of weirdos, we'd be the weirdest of those weirdos who yeah. kind of separate from that. Yeah. Um, and we took pride in that shit. So, like, yeah, yeah it, was, it was great times. Um, yeah, man, that, that's how I met those guys. And, and we made a lot of music together. We did a lot of non-music stuff. Like, it's yeah. family, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I got to witness firsthand and, and you know, like a lot of our stories kind of parallel in terms of the same times, like what you guys were doing with uh, Adams, what we were doing weightless, which is kind of why I think we've always been super cool. You know, like all of us is like those friendships are still there. And a lot of it is to me, like I watch how we all kind of rode this. We went from that era where we were just making shit. And then all of a sudden the shit we were doing kind of became cool. Yeah. And it created this perfect storm for quite a few years. <laughs> quite a few years you know what i mean like we weren't doing nothing different in 90 you know in 2001 2000 we were doing in 96 97 it was no difference nope it's just that shit was like cracking all of a sudden yeah you know and and we got to ride a quite a bit of a wave you know you look at an adams family out of them came you know obviously yourself uh hangar 18 which is wind and breeze and uh alaska went on to get signed to Def Jux, release a couple records out of Def Jux. You look yeah. at um, Vast and Vortal form Cannibal Ox, start working with LP and put out like a classic, one of the probably top five cl- records of that era on Def Jux with Cole Vane. Yeah. Um, and in the same sense that I kind of felt like, I felt like the whole Adams in the way, I mean, you look at shit like even Aesop Rock being affiliated which a lot of people probably thought he was in Adam's family at different points, you know, um, he, uh, goes on, becomes this big thing, you know, um, our first release party for those who are at home and don't know this trivia, our first album release party, the greenhouse effect up to speed EP and the logic ever seen out, uh, seen shadows, uh, album. The people we had in to play that show was the Adam's family and Aesop rock. Yeah. They they yeah. drove in from New York and played that show. It was Adam's Family, Aesop Rock, Greenhouse, A Logic, and I think Megahertz. I think Megahertz. Too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, RJ Megahertz. was DJing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is a historic fucking show. Crazy, like, crazy. And you look at that lineup and what everyone went on to do. Like, yeah. and we, yeah. you know, we were just some dudes that knew knew you from from yeah. message boards, basically. Then, yeah. and and you know, everyone kind of built their own lane and their own careers. It's kind of yeah. nuts, man. Like yeah. there's something in the water kind of. Yeah. And you know. it almost became what I think of as like a, like a feeder system to like the bigger independent labels at that time. Like if you look at megahertz, weightless and Adam's family, how many people or members of that went on to rhyme sayers and deaf jucks who were like two of the biggest labels at that time. It was like, they were just looking at us like, Oh, let's just snatch up them. They're dope. Like I, they were clearly well aware of what the fuck we were doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it was really dope. And so, like, what I want to talk about next, though, is like, because we all had this big ebb and flow where everything was kind of cracking. You know, I'll call it like the, you know, the the bubble, the underground bubble. You know, it was big. Everybody was kind of touring, playing shows, selling merch, 
moving, getting amazing reviews by press. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the what goes bubble up must come down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Around 07, the bubble kind of burst for a lot of people. And myself, I watched it, you know, and uh, we're going to take a break, though. I don't want to come back and talk about what happened when this thing kind of that we were riding that was, you know, going so well for us kind of faded and, and, and what that uh, prompted you to do next. So, uh, We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Once again, this week's episode of Super Duty Tough Work has been sponsored by Frank Mason Music, dope hip hop producer out of New York City. We thank him for sponsoring this episode and we ask that you go check out one or all three of his instrumental albums that he's got on Spotify. Instrumentals Volume 1, Instrumentals Volume 2, Instrumentals Volume 3, dope music to work out to, to drive to, zone out to, clean up your house to, all of that. Check out his music. We thank him for sponsoring this episode. Back to the show. This is your weekly reminder that we have two books that you, as a listener or watcher of this podcast, need to absolutely own. The first is The Ten Traits of Successful Hip Hop Artists, and the second is The Social Media Cheat Code. Both of these books were released within the last year. The Ten Traits of Successful Hip Hop Artists is a book where I go through the stories and explain the traits that uh, are behind the success of some of the biggest names in hip hop today. Um, the book has got nothing but amazing feedback. And if you are an artist, business person, whatever you do, if you would like to be inspired and would like to learn more about hip hop along the way and also see some some reinforcement of the concepts that we talk about on this podcast, the 10 traits of successful hip hop is for you. Second book is the social media cheat code. That is for everyone who listens to this podcast who does not uh, consider themselves an expert or really good at social media. It's not for super experienced people. It's actually for people who are on social media, but are not getting the results you need. So what we did is I broke down like 12 or 13 strategies that I use all the time that actually work really well for me. I put it into book. I gave you examples and I tell you how to implement it. That's a book you absolutely need as a listener to this podcast, watcher this podcast. If you're on YouTube, supporting these books actually goes a long way towards supporting the podcast. So uh, to support the show, if you like what we do, obviously we don't necessarily get paid to do this shit. So support the products and services that we create. And these two books are a big part of that. We appreciate your support and uh, back to the show. All right, folks, we back. Super duty, tough work. We're here talking to Cryptic One about reinventing yourself. And, uh, you know, first uh, part, we talked about some history just so I can bring everybody up to speed. And so this next section, I want to talk about kind of like what happened. So like you were very active as we all were. Um, and I remember like your uh, anti-Mobius strip album, 06. There was a lot that went into that album. I think it got delayed a couple times. Some distributors were going out of business. Yeah. This is this is when things started kind of going bad for all of us. And Cryptic runs the label, uh, CP Records, as I run Weightless. And so we saw all of this go firsthand where we had records that were selling out that we weren't getting paid for. We had distributors who were just like disappearing labels who were not paying artists. Yeah. Um, you had chains of record stores dying, just vanishing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, like all, all of a sudden it was like this, this, uh, this, this perfectly bad storm that kind of, and then you had a, a, 
along with that, you had um, the press kind of turned against us. Turned against us. Not even like ignored us. Like <laughs> yeah. the same people who were writing like this is the best hip hop I've ever heard were like actively pursuing dissing you in articles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they treated us like disco. It was like disco. Was you know wild. what I mean? Yeah. It was like and so you have all this stuff going on where the the support system for what we did uh is falling out. You know, you had the 2008 fucking financial crisis and we had a crisis within our shit where like the economy suffering, independent stores are going out of business. College radio ain't what it used to be. Um, it's uh, a lot of these magazines as well that we used to get, you know, written up by are going out as well. Yep. Uh, and the press that is still there is kind of clowning us now, going out of their way to kind of talk shit about us. Like for several years, being a, a underground rapper or being an underground artist, period, or uh, was a pejorative. You know, yep. underground was a pejorative. Like, ugh, like. Oh, backpack rap, uh, like people would make fun. Rap, nerd rap, yeah, nerd rap. rap, like whatever they 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 yeah. found a million ways to diss it, you know. Yeah, and it and it had an impact on all of us, especially those who were running labels or prolific at that time. So, like, I like just to hear kind of like what were you seeing at that time, and um, how did that impact what you thought would be the future of this shit? Well, when I look back on that time. Um, and I speak about it. I actually got out before the bubble burst. Like yeah. I vanished around 2006, early 2007. Yeah. And I wish that I could say I saw the writing on the wall and I'm a genius <laughs> and all that other shit. But yeah. I got out for other reasons. Yeah. And then I look back, I'm like, oh, thank God I made the right decision. <laughs> I got out. Because <laughs> I, I saw it crumbling um, because I was watching from afar. I got out mostly like partly for like the stress of it like mm -hmm. anyone who who has this fantasy that that releasing independent music is like this glamorous life is mm. it's a grind and if you're running a label where you're responsible for multiple things mm -hmm. and literally you don't have a staff like you're doing everything pretty much yeah and if you're not doing it you're overseeing it it's it's a stressful life for not much reward financially. Mm. Even if you're doing well, yes. A quote unquote real job is gonna pay you more for much less time. Um so that that was part of it. Uh the other part was like you brought up my, my solo album. I had so much trouble with that. Mm. Um that as you know, um, and as the listeners may know from watching your podcast. Timing is a lot of, of, determines a lot of the success of a record. Mm -hmm. So when that record was done, we were the darlings, like the Aesops were, were doing well, the Illogics, like people who had yeah. like, I don't want to call like, it was deep. Yeah, more poetic kind of. Poetic kind of, kind of yeah. stuff. And that was kind of the lane that I was in. And my record was ready to go. Literally, you're supposed to release the summer after can ox drop so yeah. i'm like I'm that would have been perfect that. timing i have the guest appearance on that record mm -hmm. aesop's coming in september i already knew because i mixed labor mm -hmm. days so i knew like <laughs> i'm supposed to come right in between labor days and yeah. colvain and my name is on both of them mm. and i'm like perfect i had a distribution deal lined up with the subsidiary of caroline distribution which mm -hmm. most people 
wouldn't know, but you would know. Was oh like, yeah, that was like the biggest, the, the goal. Like, yeah, I'm gonna have my shit in like Virgin Mega Store and like everywhere. So I hired a publicist for the record. Mm. You know that costs money, and you have to do that well before the record's released. Mm-hmm. So I dumped a bunch of money into that. Started getting reviews, and then the distribution company, the subsidiary of Caroline's, went under. So I'm like, okay, now I don't have a record coming out. Mm. I'm getting pressed for the record. I um, I'm out thousands of dollars, mm. and I'm like, okay, now what? And it was a manufacturing and and distribution deal, so I didn't even have the records. <laughs> like they didn't didn't get to the point where they pressed the records, so I didn't have the money to press it myself because I spent money. So I'm I'm like stressed about that. So I'm like searching for labels, search for the right deal. So eventually, it's, this takes years. You know, like it's not like I can just call up and be like, "Hey, I have a record ready to go." Blah blah blah. So I missed that kind of wave, and lost money and i found another deal i signed the deal for my whole label mm-hmm. and when they put out my record it did not go well yeah not because of the art side of it but because they weren't handling the business side of it yeah i'm not going to name names but a google search will, will figure it out <laughs> yeah um <laughs> you know so it, no offense to them like they were doing what they do and i kind of jumped the gun signing to it and i shouldn't have it was, it was a mistake um but i was tied into that for 10 years because that's what contracts do to you yeah um i wasn't tied into it as an artist but as a label yeah so that just diverted everything like i didn't want to put out another record with them to be honest mm. and that meant my label was dead so Damn. at the end of that i was like stressed out now i'm the people who i'm supposed to release they can't release their records i can't release my records Mm. and the record that i worked so hard on got released and didn't do well well why am i doing this shit so i took a like a, a a look at my life and i was like where's all my stress coming from it was all music related now that's when i literally like vanished (laughs) i just like vanished i disappeared i didn't answer any emails i I remember phone calls (laughs) i remember this era yo is crip okay they didn't know because no one could get in contact i mean i still lived at the same place people could have knocked on the door but like i just was like i was i was to be honest i was really angry i was Mm. angry at it was misplaced anger um i was angry at music not just the music business. So like it got to the point where I didn't make music. I didn't listen to music. I was just like, fuck all of this shit. And that's why I disappeared. And then I watched Mm -hmm. it from afar, like a year later. And I was like, Oh, the whole shit's crumbling. I was, I was fucking (laughs) toasting marshmallows on the fire. (laughs) Like I was like happy as fuck. Um, which is a bad feeling. Like looking back, that's some real shitty shit to say, but you know, cause a lot of my friends were involved in and, and I regret, those feelings but initially i was like fuck the music industry let let it all burn down um but yeah that was that was what led up to that and and like i said i watched it from afar i watched when you know i we're inside it so we could kind of see things happening like i could see that 
record stores were kind of crumbling. I could see that the press stuff was happening. I could see that record labels that we all know and loved weren't releasing mm-hmm. the same kind of music. And even like my second album, which I, I did finish before I left, I finished that album. Like personally, like I, I, I noticed a change in my own art mm-hmm. um, based off of the business kind of, cause like after you touring and like, yeah, you, this is it kind changes of a sidetrack, but not. It, yeah, yeah, it changes. changes how you record music because yes. now you have to perform it. Like Anti Mobius yep. Strip Theory is not an album I ever want to perform. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I've performed it, but like you know, like twenty-eight bar verses, yes. no hooks, and yeah, like exactly long dark, intros. slow stuff, long <laughs> intros. Like you know, like it's not fun. No. And you're, if you're playing in front of people who've never heard you before, they're like, yeah, this guy's too intense. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's either scary or boring or like, right. yo, when you gonna tell us to throw our hands up? Like, is that yeah. going to happen? Like, so my second record, I tried to switch that up a little bit and then I didn't like the record because it didn't come from a, like a pure place from, yeah. from a pure place inside me. So that was another reason that I was like, I'm not even liking the music that I'm mm. making that much. Why am I going to release this? Why am I going to put myself through this? So I just, I just dipped. I just yeah. was like, peace. <laughs> like I was out. <laughs> I remember how yeah. many, did, have you thought about like how long you were gone? I was you, gone for at least five six, years. Five, yeah. I was going to say five to six years. If I five remember years. Correctly. And even when I got back, like I started making music again, just not even letting anyone hear it yeah but like to get back to a public space that was kind of like that was a decision like all right and i made it in like the (laughs) like at the you know when i left it was my space like that was (laughs) that was the king of social media yeah and when i came back there was all this other shit and um i i was like all right i'm gonna pick the one that no one's really fucking with as much mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so i got on tumblr i made a tumblr wow and, and i just started posting stuff on there and i'm like yeah. oh, no one's gonna notice this shit and then people started finding me i was like oh shit yeah okay, how it. did you how did you get the love back from music honestly like i i there were three things that made me um pick it up again mm-hmm. uh weirdly and these three things are kind of kind of bugged and not bugged but like I don't think my fans would uh, uh, would get it, but yeah. you will get it. I picked up Jay Z's book, um, Encoded, and I was just mm-hmm. reading his process, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that that's familiar to me." You know, he's Jay Z, but like, yeah, him going through his process and and like talking about things that inspired him, it, it inspired me. Then Kanye's album at the time, um, "Beautiful Dark Twisted," yes, classic album, yeah. I heard that Mm -hmm. album and I was like, how can I not want to do this again? (laughs) Like that. And weirdly odd future. Like Mm. that was like the perfect storm for me. Cause I looked at odd future. Like these are a bunch of weirdos that is on the outcasts of everything and they're making it work and no one really understands them. And they're just fascinating to watch. And it reminded me of those Adams family days. So I'm like, all right, I got the bug again. I, Mm. I, bought logic that day i think mm. that I, I i saw uh listened to kanye's album i bought logic and i just started making beats again mm. and that that was it uh, i was like it's fun again it's yeah that that there was no pressure of like 
I'm not making this for anyone but myself. Yeah. Because frankly, at the time, I was like, no one else is gonna hear this shit. So like, I got I have one person to please. That's one yeah. audience. I can I can do that. Yeah. And, um. Yeah. No, nah, it just became fun. And that. So like, the philosophy I went <clears throat> went through after that was like, I'm not doing anything music related that isn't fun. Mm. Obviously, that that's changed a little because the second business and money gets involved fun goes out the door right like it kind of does but like right. as far as like the creative part of it like i'm making this shit for me and i'll figure out who else is going to be down with it and i'll push it to them but i'm not like making trying to you know i guess it, back in those days as, as underground artists you kind of always have the dreams of like i'm gonna blow up you yeah. know like and i saw a lot of my friends kind of blow up on a scale you know like yeah. so like that was always the goal and came back that's not the goal at all like mm. if it happens cool but like yeah even that it fills me with a little anxiety thinking about like if i blew up right now like i don't want to deal with that fucking <laughs> pressure <laughs> you yeah, send only me to so, check yeah only somebody who's been through what we've been through can look at it with that much like uh impartiality you know what i'm saying because yeah. like the average person who's just getting into that shit they can't imagine a world where you're like, man, I really don't want that kind of attention. Like, no. I really, I've been in the front and I really am kind of enjoying not being there. Like, I'm happy right now. Yeah. Why do yeah. I want to rock that boat? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, that, and, that's what COVID did to me. Like, COVID mm -hmm. has me like, you know what? It's kind of cool not having to post nothing. Like, like I'm, I've, I haven't really posted much. Every blue moon, I'll post a beat or something. I haven't released a record in four years. I'm like, like, wow. My, I have a day job where no one knows shit about this. <laughs> That's amazing. It's fucking refreshing as shit. I'm like, yep. wait a fucking minute. I can see why certain people don't want to disturb this shit. Yeah, no, man. That like, at the end of the day, why are we living life, right? If we're not enjoying it, right? Yeah, and, and like putting all that pressure on yourself and external people letting people put pressure on because yeah. we're, we're in charge of that shit like yeah you can say other people pressured you but you could yeah. ignore that or not that's a that's a conscious decision yeah make. so like once you're free of that life is fucking beautiful and it really is you're <laughs> like oh shit i'm not i woke up i'm not stressed today yeah that's, dude that's a great feeling man that's been me for a year <laughs> nice <laughs> At two years of constant pressure like is this thing gonna come back am i ever gonna have a career what mm. happened i didn't even get to put out no music and the industry got destroyed like mm. what the fuck none of this is yeah, within you my touring hard too so yeah. like that just pulling that rug from under you man that Ye years of income yeah. <laughs> out the window just years so you're like oh i just lost two years worth of salary <laughs> Oh man. Ain't work for two years. And not only did I lose the two years of income, I just spent all the savings that I had sitting over there to make it mm. through the two years. <laughs> right. That that was what COVID did to me. The savings was, Yeah. Like, that don't exist here. no more. <laughs> like, <laughs> we trying here. to rebuild. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So I wanna uh we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, I wanna talk about kind of like your repositioning yourself. Because that's now that we kind of know, it's dope to see because Everything you're doing now, it looks like that to me. It looks like you're just doing shit because you enjoy it for the love. And obviously there is some 
when you start putting out records, like you're saying, you do want to at least have those records heard. But like what you do now, what you put out now is such a reflection of a, a different kind of uh, personality and an attitude towards it, which is which is much brighter, which is kind of, you know, refreshing to see. So I want to take a break and then we'll be right back. Quick announcement. Over the years, we've frequently been asked by the listeners of our show if we would ever open up our platform to the public for advertising. We've always been interested in doing it, but in the past, we never had the systems in place to make it work properly. I'm proud to announce that we are now officially accepting advertising from the public on Super Duty Tough Work. Meaning, if you are a business owner or an artist and would like to create more awareness about your product, service, or release on our platform, we're now in a position to be able to do that. For more information, email us at superdutytoughwork at weightless.net. That's superdutytoughwork at weightless.net. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you would like to promote, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible about whether it's a good fit and go from there. Thanks for your time. Back to the show. All right, folks, we are back. Super duty, tough work, talking to Cryptic One, my brother from another mother, you know? (laughs) We used to go club hopping in New York. You know, I don't know if you remember. I told that story. Oh, <laughs> really? I told that story like this week to, to my girlfriend. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to interrupt the podcast with this yeah. little story about print. Print came. I don't know. You were by yourself, right? Yeah, I think I was by yeah. myself that time. Yeah. So I think me and you just hung out. I'm like, we're going to do some non hip hop <laughs> underground shit. We're going to yeah. show you New York. Yeah. Like, New York, New York. Yeah. And we went to a club called apt oh yeah and yeah we walked in <laughs> and we went downstairs and we we're just chilling having a drink you know mm-hmm. there's beautiful women around it's like some, like new york club scene kind of shit yeah still kind of like hip-hop mm-hmm. underground ish but uh we saw molly mall that night right yeah he was, he was chilling getting he was like girls like backing that thing up on him he was sitting <laughs> up at the bar like this and the girl was just twerking on him like <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yo, that's Molly Moore right And no one was bothering him. No, he was no. just chilling. He was just like another dude amazing. in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. remember that girl uh, swung on me outside that spot? Because oh, <laughs> I called her a flare hater. <laughs> this is the most bizarre story because this was before oh. the word player hater was like universal. <laughs> Every It was new. And Crip was talking to this girl. We was obviously trying. We had our, okay, whoever get the most numbers, everybody else got to buy them dinner. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) So Crip was talking to this girl who was really trying to get at him. And she had a girl with her who wasn't really it. Not feeling the scene at all. So you need a, you need a wingman to come take the pressure off. So I was like, let me go play wingman and distract this other chick. So my man can kind of seal the deal and get his phone number and lock this in. Me and her talking, and she's just being annoying. And I'm like, yo, why you being such a player hater? <laughs> <laughs> she was a big husky uh, chick, too, man. She yeah. said, what? What? Motherfucker, what? She caught back, way back. She caught that shit down the street. So 
hit him. I'm like, oh, shit. I saw that shit in slow motion, man. You dodging that shit. I was like, whoa, shit. Oh, she tried to knock me out, man. <laughs> I grabs her like, yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get the number either. I see. But, of course, because she's the story on me. is is way worth it, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course, she ruined the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. She was like, "Hater, I'm not a hater." She starts screaming she and it swung on me personally man. on a level of I don't even know. Like you insulted a mother. I was like, "Damn, what happened?" That's literally all I said was, "Why you being such a player, hater?" <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> But yeah, that's how far we go back, man. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember how this 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 conversation even started now. <laughs> so let's so let's talk about like um your return. What I've seen from you and what I think is dope is like when you and I and let me give some backstory here, around 2005, 2006, I actually kind of wanted to start a label that was going to be uh instrumental only. And it was going to be called the analog catalog. And it was only like five to eight guys making instrumental hip hop at that time. There was no real scene, not United States. There was no places you can go and play beats. There was nothing like that. Like what we know of now didn't exist. There wasn't even gear being made for producers to play live shows. Nope. Right. And so we, Crypt is a guy I know who's been making instrumental hip hop as long as he's been making beats. Yep. I've got tapes and old CDs of his old stuff, and he and I have always been on that. Yep. You know, they went sometimes they called it trip hop back trip then hop. or yep. whatever. We've been making whatever they call it, that we've been making that. And um, did you look at the scene now from the outside and be like, yo, there's actually us whole thing there now that wasn't there before i want to be over there or, or how did you go about like did you see it yeah you saw it i saw it i saw it early um with the low end theory stuff in la yeah like that was like damn why can't we have that here <laughs> like that's the world that i yeah. want to be a part of you know I, like having a producer be the the at the forefront like without needing an mc like mm-hmm. rj definitely he fucking did it but even when he was performing he wasn't like it was almost like he like he was doing like four turntables shit right at the time yeah dj yeah four turntables so like that was different um but i definitely saw it you know cats like db and and those guys on the west coast fly low and all that shit i saw it from afar and i was like damn i hope this shit expands and few years later that shit it, it was like wildfire i did have an issue with and i still have an issue with and i'm probably gonna get shit about this but the whole calling it lo-fi and that yeah. term i hated the term i don't like where it kind of went it blew up on a on a mainstream kind of level where mm-hmm. like you'll hear a lo-fi beat in a commercial yeah and i'm like you could hear it any producer that hears it is like yeah that took you two seconds to make right you know and and it 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 wasn't enjoyable to me and like i feel like a lot of really talented producers got lumped into this lo-fi category Mm -hmm. and i knew i didn't fit in that lo-fi space i still don't and even even the good guys the the i hate to say good but whatever like the the talented producers in that world 
I didn't really even fit in with them musically. Like mm-hmm. their North Star is Dilla, right? Yeah. Like that that Dilla swing, which yeah. I appreciate and love, and I'll do it from time to time. But like that's that was never my North Star. Like I was making my first record came out like before Dilla's Dilla's. first record came exactly. Out. So like, <laughs> and I had already been making beats for seven years. So that would just be weird for me to like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do stuff like Dilla now. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, that was their North Star, and I was like in my mind like how am i gonna fit into this world where that's my stuff sounds so different like yeah. i don't think my sound, stuff sounds like anybody in that space so that was like a challenge it still is a challenge for me um but i definitely saw it i definitely wanted to be involved and i had no idea how to to get involved yeah um the big thing that helped me in this situation was the pandemic honestly like yeah it forced me in the house for mm. an extended period of time and made a lot of music. And then I stumbled across, um, let me go back before that a little bit. I started learning to finger drum yeah. solely for performance. And I, even though I haven't even done it on stage yet Yeah, <laughs> because I would, I'd go, they'd have little beat shows here. Shout out to pays infinite. Cause he's like the, the birth of the beat scene kind of in New York. Yeah. Um, and I'd go to them. They're not, they wouldn't be well attended all the time, but the producers were super talented. But everyone had an SP-404, and we'd be doing the effects. And I was like, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, what can I do? So I was like, I'm going to learn a finger drum. Um, and that's what started. And I downloaded this software that still exists called Melodics, which mm-hmm. is kind of like... Um, for lack of a better thing, like dance, dance revolution, but like yeah, for finger drumming. So you'll see a note on the screen and you press it. And you, that's how I learned initially. And then you have to graduate beyond that. But through that, I came across cause you learn to play actual producers beats on that. And mm-hmm. there was one producer stolen drums who I saw a couple of his beats. I liked his beats. Number one, they were weird. Like, yeah times and really difficult to play but like i like playing his lessons so then one time melodics had this was right at the beginning of the the pandemic melodics had um a live stream with stolen drums and i was like oh cool you know let me check this out so i log in to watch it and this was really at the start of like live stream like becoming a little bit more regular but it wasn't really normal like this was when the verses started and the sound was terrible the picture quality was terrible and I tune in and I'm watching like this preview clip of this guy stolen drums with dreads in his studio making beat. And I'm like, after like five minutes of watching, he's talking to the camera. I'm like, yo, this isn't pre-recorded. Like this is live. This is a, a live stream. <laughs> and it looks like, like this, like I learned all of this lighting shit mm-hmm. from him. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know this shit was possible. So me, I, I became like kind of like super fan immediately of this dude. I was like going through his Spotify and then I found his YouTube and he'd been doing live streams for like yeah. years before, before the pandemic. The pandemic. Yep. Yeah. Well before, like he innovated this in, in, in the beat space for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was like, yeah, I'm starting this thing called Sidechain society where I'm going to, you know, just drop all the, techniques that i do in the live stream i'm gonna teach y'all how to do all this stuff so i'm like you know i'm older i know how to produce but i'm newer to ableton <clears throat> and i'm like 
I'm learning stuff watching his live stream, so I'm gonna join up. Yeah. I must have been one of the first people to sign up for that shit. And through that, that thing blew up into something that I don't think even he expected. It it's just like a community of producers of various like levels of of accomplishments, mm-hmm. um, all the way from like Grammy to here's my first beat. Yeah. And they're all in the same space and everyone has respect for each other. And every Thursday we get on Zoom and we play beats for each other and talk shit, whether it be business, whether it be life, whether it be like, here's a plugin that I found today or here's a sound. So like a lot of those guys are in that world that I wanted to be a part of. So like suddenly now I'm like in it, in it and I'm mm-hmm. talking with people and, and it, it, it kind of solidified my, my drive to even like go harder mm-hmm. into that, that space while still being myself because here I was in a group at the time it was a small group. Now it's, I think it's like 300 people um, where everyone sounds like them. Yeah. But we're all kind of still in the same genre and that, mm-hmm. that, that blew me away <clears throat> Which that was one of the things that kind of steered me away from lo-fi because I started to feel like a lot of them started to sound the same to me. But here, what like I can do a blindfold taste test. You can play me a pinstripe cousin beat, and I'm like, yep, that's pin. You play mm-hmm. Matthew Jameson, yep, that's Matt. Like you just they have their own signature sound, and it was through that community that really made me love this shit again. Mm-hmm. Um, like I loved it. I love making it for myself, but here I was sharing it again. And it, it just kind of reminded me to, to bring back to, to childhood. Um, it reminded me of like meeting y'all and yeah. like that sense of like those days where we were just like, yo, hear this. And then you pull out something like, oh, work, look at this. And we'd have yeah. those tapes that were circulating mm-hmm. between us where we'd all just like add on the tape yep. would come my way, like literally send it in the mail <laughs> yep. with like 10 weightless joints. And then I'd add on like six new out of family. Nothing's mixed. Nothing's ready to go out. We don't even know if we're releasing this straight up, straight up. And like, it just kind of reminded me of that energy and that shit hooked me, man. I was, mm. I didn't miss a session for like, I haven't been in a couple months, but I didn't miss a Thursday I would say for like two years straight. Like that yeah. was my religion. My girl calls it. My, oh, you ready for your bromance? <laughs> I come <laughs> in the studio. I close the door. She yeah. knows not to bother me. And and those sessions run long. Sometimes they start now. They start at noon, and yeah. sometimes I go to like five in the morning, dude. Dang. Like yeah, and drums is there for the whole shit. Power to them. We pop in and out. But um, yeah, man, it, it's. I can't say enough about it. Y- y'all, I, I get nothing <laughs> from it, but if you're a producer and you're not part of Sidechain, you're missing out. Even yeah. if you can't make the Zoom sessions, just the information alone mm-hmm. is mind-blowing. Like, like, we started this conversation talking about nobody knew anything and there was mm-hmm. no YouTube. This is like everyone just sharing information no one's holding back like back in the days we wouldn't share tell you what we sample we wouldn't yeah. tell you what equipment we use we cover labels like everyone's just open That's and you know no one sounds alike so it, it it's it's not the tools it's it's the person which, yeah. which is one of the things we all know but like seeing it firsthand um was kind of great 
Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of it. And I should have, I, I kind of should have rewound to another part of it was like, I don't know if you remember on Instagram when, when I first started coming back, I started doing beat a day, beat a day. Yeah. Yes. 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 That was, that was everything that, that that's what really started um, my, my love for it. It built my skills. And for those that don't know, um, beat a day, literally I wasn't making a lot of beats and I wanted to, and I posted I had maybe like 50 followers at the time. It's mostly friends mm -hmm. and family. Yeah. Um, and I just posted a beat with a video of my dog running around the backyard. <laughs> and yeah. I did a hashtag, a beat every day for 100 days. And I press send. And then the next morning I woke up and I looked at that shit. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> now I'm committed. Yeah. <laughs> for the next 99 days, I have to make a beat every day, my stupid. And, and and edit a video to go with it. And edit a video. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And not just the beat. No. Which <laughs> that after doing three or four, you're like, damn, I'm out of ideas. Now what do I do? <laughs> but yeah, so that like lit a fire under my ass. And and you know, now it's kind of it's kind of cool to see that it's kind of a regular thing in the producer community. They call mm -hmm. it a producer challenge. Like, I'm gonna do a 30 day challenge where I make a beat every day and upload it. And yeah. like and like I want to take credit, but you, you was the first shit. person I seen do that shit. I, I was the first person I seen to do it. Yeah. That was 2000, I think 14 or 13. Mm -hmm. Um, but that shit, I did that shit for three years and then <clears throat> it got to the point where we talked about before I started pressuring myself. I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, I got to get ready for season four. And like, it became like, that's just how my mind works. It eventually gets there. Like I find something pure and then I'm like, how can I make it bigger? How can I make it better? <laughs> How can I corrupt it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <This pure laughs> How can idea. I fuck this up? <laughs> you know? So it just got to the point where I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. Cause it, it got yeah. to the point where it was starting to stress me out. It started to, to feel that same way I felt before I quit all this shit. And I'm like, mm. all right, I don't need to do it. Like no one's holding a gun to my head. So then yeah. I was like, all right, let me find the next thing that I can build and then corrupt <laughs> and abandon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my process yeah so so how has like because um, there's something that you're hinting on in there that I, I would like people to hear and to understand is like it's not just a matter of being like hey i want to be in this space you you did something that uh, that is very important which is you built your skills yeah. like you knew how to produce the records we were making in the style that we were making before you left now you're doing something different though. Totally different. Yeah. Like let's talk about like how your decision to go in there has impacted how you practice uh, your craft. Um, it, it changes how I approach things. It changes. Um, I do think about performing while I'm making a beat. Um, and the tools have changed a lot. That, that that's one of the biggest things is the tools. Now I'm using Ableton to push mm -hmm. right here. And it took a lot of studying to be honest, like who's performing beats live and keeping like a two minute instrumental with no MC who's doing that in, in keeping people interested in how are they doing it? What are yeah. they doing? What effects are they using? How can I do it in my way? That's a little different than that. Um, I think a lot of it more than anything. I mean, obviously there's the physical practicing of it, like learning to do the shit, but like kind of just, deciding that i need to study everybody 
and mm. pick pieces of of the things that I like and abandon the things I don't like and it's still a process like every show I do something different because yeah. I'm still learning I'm still adding and that is everything like for me like learning new things is and I know it's the same way with you because yeah. you started off making beats and rhymes and then recording and mixing became important and now there's video in the mix and yep. sound design and web design and we we just we always learning something new and it's one of the things that keeps me wanting to continue this so like this was like wide open like there's so much i can learn and i'm still learning like every day yeah um, even when i came out there recently when i saw you for a logic show like i did things on stage like i was in the hotel room earlier like all right let me try this yeah. oh that works i'm gonna try that on stage cool you know so like i just stay in that mentality of just trying to do something different every show learn something and like i st said at the beginning of this i started off like i wanted to do something completely different with finger drumming on stage and like mm -hmm. i haven't gotten there yet but that's yeah. still something i still practicing and trying to get that on stage because i think that's another thing that'll kind of separate me but there are a lot of people in that space right that are finger drummers i don't and no no offense to them obviously like talented dudes i don't want to be known as a finger drummer i just right. want to be known as as a beat dude who sometimes at a show he may he may finger drum you know yeah um which i don't know what why i don't want to be known as that because someone called me that and I, my first reaction was like Nah, nah. <laughs> i'm a producer man that, yeah that that's just to, one that's part a, of that's it. a tool yeah that i use sometimes um but yeah i don't know why i take offense to that but yeah the same so, reason somebody would get take offense to being called lo-fi artists right 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 <laughs> you know because right. you and i know the average person might not know but we know we see a lot of these people finger drumming if if they were like the dopest producers we would gladly wear that title right oh yeah but a lot of them are not yeah they're amazing finger drummers but you can't necessarily listen to their work right right like if, like if i wasn't watching it right would i still like it that to me is like a, a big <laughs> distinction no. there are a couple no. there are definitely a couple. a couple and i i know some of them personally and yeah i can close my eyes and when i hear your shit i'm like yo that shit is dope and then i open right. my eyes and i'm like oh shit that shit is crazy <laughs> like exactly. the fact that you're doing all that shit live um but then yeah you're right like there's some people where it's it's kind of like a video game and yeah it's just like, like you're pressing buttons and sound is coming and it's on beat and it's yeah you know what i bumped that beat no nah. mm. <laughs> banging in the jeep right right it's not it's not um it, but what you kind of touched on too is like is it true that from what i see it seems like you've played more shows as a producer than you ever played as a solo MC? It's gotta totally, be. Totally, no. No, yeah. I definitely played more shows as, as an MC. Yeah, but I, as a I, solo MC. I mean, I know in groups well, yeah, stuff like that. Well, yeah, because I did I did one tour where it oh, was yeah, kind of like, you was yeah, like, yeah, it was like 50 dates. So I, okay. I don't think I've done 50 shows this year. I maybe done like 35 or 40 or something. So You've done close. 35 shows, producer shows this year? I did at least 30 which Damn. is yeah yeah i well that's one of the things i i told myself at the beginning of this year is like i did maybe three shows mm -hmm. last year yeah and then i was like 
I'm gonna make it a point. Number one, I'm gonna say yes to everything. Yeah. Um, this is something that we have not touched on that I think is important. Is that I looked at it like I'm a brand new artist. Mm. I'm unknown. I'm gonna say yes to every opportunity to get on stage, whether it pays me or not. Yeah. I'm gonna get out there like mm. nobody knows me, and for real, in this space, nobody really knows me. There's a few that know me, but like, yeah, in the instrumental world, I, I I'm not known. So, um, swallow a little bit of the pride and like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that show. Sure, let's go. Yeah. And um, I I didn't say no to any shows this year unless it was like. I just couldn't do it because I have some family engagements or yeah. my girls made plans for us. And I'm like, ah, I can't do that show. You know, I'm not, I'm not breaking up over this shit. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I did a lot of shows just on like, yeah. Why is that? Why is that attitude so important for you to have? Number one, it gets me on stages, gets me better at, at performing. Like I didn't get good at performing rap shit until I was dumped into like you're doing 50 shows in the next 60 days you better figure it out yeah <laughs> like my shows before that i didn't i mean i rehearsed but i it, i didn't ha have it like you know you're yeah. a seasoned touring musician so like in those early stages you could rap mm -hmm. you could do some crowd stuff but you didn't have routines you didn't like you know it, what people don't understand is, is a uh, is an mc performing <clears throat> it's borderline like stand-up comedy mm. to a degree like you have to have skits in between and these are they come off as like spontaneous things but you've done these shits every night for the last 20 <laughs> nights in a row so like i didn't have that with the beat shit so i'm like well the only way i'm gonna get good at this shit i'm not gonna get good in here mm. performing recording myself and watching it back i'm gonna get good on stage so that was one of the major decisions and just like you know you want to get out there like i get every show i do i get a bunch of new instagram followers i get a bunch of people hitting me up like yo do you have anything on spotify like that's the way like no matter how much social media like runs our lives and we think we can just promote on there but like meeting someone face to face yeah playing music in front of them shaking their hand well not shaking their hand during pandemic times but you know giving them elbow, elbow bump. bump you know <laughs> <laughs> that shit may that's what builds fans like yeah you know like an email is cool and a dm is cool but like there's nothing like that personal connection mm. um so that was important to me just because of my old school mentality of like I ain't gonna let get nobody to like my shit just from Instagram. You know? Yeah, I mean it does happen, but like, it's a it's a world of difference doing shows. Yeah, I agree. Um, as far as your decision to to kind of pivot like that, how do you feel about how it's going so far? It's going great. Um, it's definitely. Um, I'm not banking. I ain't rich. You know, yeah. but like. I'm making I'm making a little money. All the money goes right back into the music one yeah. way or another, whether it's to like run Instagram ads or buy a new piece of equipment or yeah, something. So like it, the music is feeding itself, um, which that was kind of that was a plan. You know, like I'm like, I'm not spending more than I make and it's everything real. I make I'm spending, you know, to <laughs> to grow it. 
Um, So that's a luxury I have because this is not what I do for a living, you know? So like, you know, um, if you're trying to do this for a living, then, then things get kind of, that's when pressure comes in and you may start doing things for money that you wouldn't normally do. So I wanted to avoid that. Um, But yeah, man, I, I think it's going great. Like I'm enjoying myself self still. I see it grow every year. Um, Yeah. And I'm doing more shows. I think I'm going to calm down on the shows a little bit next year, Mm -hmm. even though like 35 or whatever I did is kind of a good number, but it's not outlandish, but I want to get back to to the studio and creating because for some reason I have a brain that like when I'm focused on shows, I'm focused on shows. I don't really create that much. I'm the same. Like once I did that last show this year, I just felt like, and I'm like, okay, now what? And I started looking for samples and started picking drum sounds. I'm like, oh, I haven't Mm. done this in a while. So it feels good to be back here. This is what we love doing more than anything. That's dope. So um, this is going to be the last question. All right. Because, you know, we have a lot of up and coming artists who most of them have, you know, they dream about having a 25 plus year run, you know, um, at this shit. And they probably don't even think that there's going to ever come a point where they might want to focus on something different, pivot a little bit. What advice would you have to to artists who may be feeling stuck in one phase um, as far as making a pivot? What would you tell them if they're thinking about it? I'm going to be the most cliche motherfucker on the planet right now and say, (laughs) follow your heart and like whatever your heart says, like. whatever you really really want to do and passionate about do that shit like it's really that simple um i find like and not just in music in life that we often say yes to shit that we really want to say no to Mm. and sometimes we'll say no to shit that we really want to say yes to and once you learn to flip that shit Mm. life is good man like I want to do that. I'm going to do that. I don't want to do that. Nah. <laughs> like it, it it sounds so easy to do, but our brains are programmed to like think differently. So that that's the number one thing, the more practical thing. I mean, that's pretty practical, but like the more like I don't know, like physical thing you can do is practice and and grind and learn and stay learning and when you think you know it all learn some more and Mm. study people who you aspire to be not be them but in their space um like i don't believe in inspiration which is going to sound weird Mm. um i believe in discipline so like you're one of the first person i heard say that yeah i I and i wholeheartedly agree I mean, it's it's a hard space because all my life I was like oh, I'm not inspired like mm-hmm. that shit is such a cop out like exactly it's such a cop out like if you if you're a beat maker and you can't wake up and get in front of here and make a beat you may not like it like right that's the thing you have to get over you're not gonna like everything you make um but if you can't make a beat we can all make a beat like it's just pressing buttons like there's nothing mm-hmm. stopping us from doing that so get up and do it and you gotta make five beats you don't like to get to the one you like that's what you got to do but if you don't make those five you ain't gonna get there 
So like, I don't believe in inspiration. Like I literally was going to make a t-shirt that said fuck inspiration, <laughs> like in, in small print is like, um, discipline matters or some shit like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that, that has become my motto. That is something I live by. I try to live by. It's not always easy. Um, like I say that and this year I haven't made shit. Like I, I literally, <laughs> I've made like four beats this year. Yeah. Um, and it's almost time now that shows are done where I'm going to yeah. light a fire under my ass and commit to some stupid shit that I yeah. regret the next day. Like, <laughs> oh, damn, why did I say that? But like, it, it's time for me to like force it and like wake up and like every day make beats Yeah, and make some shitty ones until I get to the good ones. Like that's, yeah, it's part that's of the process. Pretty, it is. It has to be. Like, yeah. yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Well, tell the tell the people where they can find you, Crip. Um, I'm most active social media wise on Instagram. That's Crip underscore Uno. That's C R Y P underscore Uno. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a website, CrypticOne.net, where mm-hmm. that's where I'm moving all my merch to. I'm not going to be selling merch on Bandcamp much anymore. Um, no offense to Bandcamp, but it's time to get my full percentage. You know, to be real, you know, like that's real. Yeah, yeah. I, you can build the website, build the website, you know, get all your money. Hey, we just um, talked about this last episode, folks. It's not just us saying this shit. We just talked about this. Oh, yeah, that, that's right. The <laughs> website episode. That's it's, right. it's true. It's true. <laughs> it, it is true. And it's something that took me a while to learn. And, you know, and literally in the last year, I got my own website running with the store, running mm. perfectly. And, you know, it, whatever percentage band camp, it doesn't sound like much, but... Yeah. When you look at your year-end numbers and you're like, damn, I gave them that for real. Yeah, yeah. And the email addresses, which is like That's everything. Coming from you is much more effective long term yep. than yep. coming from them, their server. hundred percent. That that's another big thing. We could you could do a whole episode on emails, <laughs> like for real. Like yeah. that is everything. Maybe I will. Yeah. <laughs> that's how we might have to, now that you said yeah. it. Yeah, man. Well um, thank you yeah that that that's it and you know spotify and all those things but mm-hmm. we make pennies off of that but yeah if you, you want to hear the music without the commitment of purchasing yeah i'm all about it go check me out on spotify yeah and he's got vinyl as well for sale folks for all of yep. our vinyl collectors support this man crypticone.net one.net and uh i thank you for being here today brother thank Dope you man. interview man good um, good seeing you people at home please follow this man support his music uh be on the lookout for his shows um and he's doing some dope stuff on production he's got a catalog that goes back to fucking 89 to fucking <laughs> 2023 is about to be this is amazing right crazy 30 fucking years in a game you know releasing music there's some lessons here uh for those of you at home you want to reinvent yourself uh you think about pivoting don't be afraid and that's it for this week see y'all next week peace y'all peace listening to super duty tough work subscribe to the podcast on itunes follow the podcast on soundcloud peace shoot i got styles already that's more complex that nobody know about i mean super duty tough work huh?